Hello everyone, welcome back to the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. This is your host, Doc. I am an active duty anarchist, an explicit anti-fascist and anti-racist, a member of the Irish-American community, and a general all-around hobo troublemaker based out of so-called New England. And on this podcast, I rate, read, review, critique, and mock white nationalist and neo-Nazi literature. I read this shit so that other people don't have to. Uh, I would like to once again announce to my podcast audience that I have successfully gotten back into Gab for about the... I'm not going to disclose what number of times I've managed to do that. I have quite a few burner accounts on Gab, so if you're a white nationalist listening to this and you're within my... uh, anywhere near my community and my kin and uh, the people that I care about, you should know that I am in your conversations. I'm reading everything you read, not just your favorite works of literature, but also your actual (laughs) messages and gab posts and so on. I know what you know. I know where you are. And if you're in a forum of white nationalists on gab or anywhere else, my advice to you would be to shut down the forum. Uh, before you end up with a clusterfuck of embarrassment and snitching that would make Iron March look like a a fucking children's party by comparison. So for those of you who have spines and hearts and two brain cells to rub together uh, and are therefore not white nationalists, I have a treat for you today. Uh, We're continuing with our theme of exploring the line between white nationalism and mainstream American conservatism, and nobody, nobody in the history of this podcast sort of walks that line better or more knowingly than today's author. So uh, today's author will be a man by the name of Willis Carto. That name should sound familiar to those of you who have been following along so far, because Willis Carto was last seen in a jailhouse interview with Francis Parker Yaki. He was an, uh, an avid admirer of Yaki's. He ended up just sort of like his pathetic court jester type figure, like what Alfred Rosenberg was, uh, or not Alfred Rosenberg, uh, Carl Hess, what Carl Hess was for Hitler, Willis Carto is for Francis Parker Yaki. Sort of a, I'm sure Yaki would take my comparison to him with Hitler as a fucking compliment. Uh, it's not. Both of them were unstable and, and just incompetent leaders who were constantly encouraging infighting and backstabbing among their their coterie of followers uh and willis cardo was nothing if not a fan of backstabbing and of hitler uh as we'll explore further today but the text that carto was the author and editor of that we'll be covering today sort of does a decent job of hiding willis carto's true politics within the a guise of white national a guise of american nationalism rather uh, there's that old quote that says that when fascism comes to this country, it'll be wrapped in the American flag and carrying a cross. And this is a pretty good example of that. Uh, Willis Carto attempts to uh, in to sneak his way past uh, conservatives who might be paying attention and on the lookout for fascism, which frankly I believe is a myth at this point. Uh, American conservatives are more and more increasingly comfortable with white nationalists and anti-Semitism and all of the palingenetic bullshit that fascists believe in so much. Uh, So, uh, the text today is entitled Populism versus Plutocracy. Now, uh, I will, of course, point out any anti-Semitic dog whistles in this text as we go through it here. But before we do that, uh, you should know that plutocracy is not... uh, 
simply a uh, word for capitalism to Willis Carto. Willis Carto has some real interesting economic ideas that we're going to go through as we uh, move further forward into the text here. So, uh, I would first uh, point out uh, before we begin that Willis Carto is very influential among uh, Patriot Front types. Uh, they also choose the red, white, and blue and American Americana bullshit, uh, and they do that intentionally. Willis Carto is also not a neo-Nazi. I have defined the difference between neo-Nazism and white nationalism more broadly before, so I'm not going to rehash that here. Uh, you can go back and listen to other episodes. I've gone through that many, many, many times. So, moving right along here, we are in the introduction and there is, of course, right off the bat, the usual reactionary rhetoric of capitalism as posing a danger to natural hierarchies. Quote, uh, capitalism, as distinguished from free enterprise... <laughs> right off the bat, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, small businessmen are not are real capitalists. The, the big successful capitalists are not capitalists, I guess. Uh, this is a force for instability and revolution. The revolutionary, revolutionary dynamics of monop monopoly capitalism, a system which is alien to American tradition, are directly responsible for the political, economic, and social quandary in which Americans find themselves in the last quarter of what was supposed to be the quote-unquote American century. The solution, then, to the problems posed by the alien system of economic royalism and monopoly is a return to American tradition. Uh, American tradition being, of course, populism, according to Carto. Quote, Populism is the only social, economic, and political system which withstands the destructive and degenerative effects of modern industrial society on the family, nation, race, uh, and culture. Populism is a force for stability. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so we're skipping forward to the introduction a bit here. We've laid out pretty much what Willis Carto is going for here. Populism as being a real and distinctive political system as opposed to capitalism, I guess. Um, I'm sure it'll also come forward that it's opposed to communism as well. You can compare this to William Dudley Pelley's uh, book that we went through in a previous episode. Pretty much the same idea. Uh, there's this third force that is not capitalism or communism, but unlike William Dudley Pelley, at no point does Willis Carto deny being a fascist in this book. He doesn't mention it, but he doesn't deny it. Um, and there's a very specific reason for that. It's because Willis Carto was a fucking fascist. He invited, uh, a former member of the SS to speak at the Liberty Lobby conference in the 80s at one time. Uh, fun fact, he knew who, he, who the guy was, and he was invited intentionally, and many, many Republican operatives were there. So, moving ahead here, uh, this will cover, quote-unquote, producerist economics. Quote, this regressive aim is put forward as great progress, but the end goal is to structure all society as a beehive, with all equal bees carefully tended by omnipotent financiers who, or commissars who gather the honey. Okay, first of all, if you're all equal, you don't have superiors. That's not how equality works. Uh, if everyone's equal, you're not in a pyramid, but you're just describing capitalism again. So, the right doesn't like what capitalism does in practice, but they're too wedded 
uh, to capitalist ideology and their love of hierarchy and domination and control of other people to uh, fully divorce from it uh, or to imagine new ways of being, which is very sad. I, I pity them, frankly, sometimes. Some call this ca communism a society of two classes, the very rich and the slaves. Others call it monopoly capitalism. Both of them are correct. In the new global society envisioned by the planners and social change advocates, the class constituting of the destitute poor will consist of the newly impoverished former middle class. Meanwhile, the super rich, as the saying goes, will be with you always. Uh, that's not the saying. The saying is the poor will be with you always. I love how he just admits his economic bias as we're moving forward here. Like, he hates the rich less than he hates the working class. He despises the poor and the working class, especially workers who are considered unwhite. He despises them. It just oozes out of this text this entire time. And moving forward, you're going to see even more of that. Uh, so he uh, lays out his objection to finance capitalism, uh, which is uh, apparently the fact that capital doesn't respect national borders. Quote, the new world order favored by liberals openly and by conservatives often unknowingly but self-evidently is internationalist. Its real purpose is to establish a global government secretly controlled by a plutocracy. And you can put three parentheses around that. Sovereign nations will have no place in the new world order. Although the fiction of borders and nominal independence will, will be preserved for a time to gull people into believing their nations are still sovereign while international finance, parentheses, 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 rules. Uh, he frames himself as to the right of conservatism, uh, basically stating, and I'm not going to quote this whole section here because it's very long and badly written, but basically he states that uh, conservatives are ideologically still liberals, which is true. They believe in enlightenment and constitution and all that shit. But instead of explaining why the Enlightenment was a specific time in Europe that arose out of the beginnings of empire, he simply states that uh, conservatives are liberals who don't uh, support uh, strict national hierarchy and strong borders and tariffs and so on. And so therefore they are basically liberals and they should be rejected along with liberalism in favor of white national, I mean populism. Uh, they should be rejected in favor of populism. Uh, and this is where we uh, start letting our freak flag fly a little bit. And that flag is sort of a weird red one that has a white circle on it. You may have seen this design before. Uh, it's got a weird cross-looking motherfucker on it. Uh, but here it is. Here's where his freak flag starts to fly a little bit. Quote, Racial confusion, the, title, the section is entitled. Oh, boy. <laughs> what? Well, oh boy. Let's see what's going on here. Quote, Racial integrity and diversity are part of populist philosophy. Not so with either the liberal New World Order, libertarianism, or modern conservatism. All races have both the right and duty to pursue the de their destiny, the populist says, free from worries that any other race will interfere with another. Uh, and then he lists a whole bunch of ways that races interfere with each other, including slavery, uh, institution of social programs, subsidizing of one race by another, crime. Crime is just a racial thing, according to him. Uh, and he insists that the liberal, conservative New World Order rejects racial integrity. Uh, so basically, he's to the right of conservatives, and he's pretty racist. 
Uh, this is all shit that he's just admitting openly in the course of this book. Now, here we come to my favorite section, and uh, if you have to listen to this podcast at your family Thanksgiving, you can play this part specifically to make your conservative uncle's head explode. This is a critique of conservatives by a noted white nationalist and fascist. This is not a f- an official position of the Black and Red Book Review podcast. The position of the Black and Red Book Review podcast is fuck all white nationalists and also fuck the conservatives. But the white nationalist critique of conservatism is hilariously dumb. Uh, I have it in my notes says <laughs> conservatives are basically Marxists. But uh, let me uh, quote Carto here. Quote, in the liberal conservative fantasy of economic determinism, economics is everything. Marxism, of course, is the ultimate economic determinist philosophy, which carries the brutalization of the human spirit to its ultimate conclusion. Thus, Marxism and liberal conservatism share the materialistic premise, as they share so many others, that economics is the motivating force behind society and the individual. Conservatives, preoccupied with their profit and loss sheets, disregard the real dynamics of history, which are nationalism and race. Preservation of national and racial culture is also accomplished through application of populist principles and programs. So right populism, uh, populism to the right of conservatism, has to explicitly involve race. I think uh, uh, the an analysis of Trumpian politics as a phenomenon would probably bear this out as well, if you look back over Trump's rhetoric the past six or seven years or so. Uh, finally... Populism develops a strong middle class through the free enterprise system, which enables the meritorious to earn rewards of talent and hard work. Free enterprise is distinct from monopoly finance capitalism. How is free enterprise distinct from uh, monopoly finance capitalism? Why? What are the characteristics of monopoly finance capitalism uh, that uh, put it at odds with free enterprise? He doesn't go into any detail. He just says free enterprise is different because he says so, and then he just moves right along and never fucking brings it up again. This is a point that I've made numerous times on this uh, on this podcast and in my own conversations, and I'm going to make it again. The far right cannot do economics. They don't have a fucking answer to economics. Their economics is either trickle-down economics bullshit from the 80s, it's either neoliberalism, or they just have no fucking idea and they want to hit you with the club to make you shut the fuck up. It's the politics of this small business tyrant sitting in the back room of a restaurant, counting his fucking money while you're breaking your back at the dish pit, or fucking making yourself miserable waiting on customers. This is what the politics of the far right is. The, the classical Marxists are mostly correct about this. It's always economically the politics of the small business tyrant and the bureaucrat and the veteran and this is no fucking different than any other text that we've explored in this regard so uh he he lays out his so-called populist critique of socialism which i'm not a socialist so we're not really going to go through that here uh populism uh regards uh recognizes inequality and therefore philosophically justifies profits uh socialism incites class antagonism which is correct uh, he says that the aim of socialism is to murder all uh, small business owners and homeowners and farmers. Uh, maybe? No? I would say no. I don't know many socialists that want to murder random people for having homes. Um, 
I would say that actually anarchists in particular are in favor of ending homelessness and making sure that everyone has a home. And you don't really need to murder homeowners in order to do that. You just need to stop them from owning 15 homes and throwing people out in the street when uh, their rents are going up at such a rate that they can no longer pay them with their wages. Um, you can do all of that without needing to murder a tremendous number of people, I think. Uh, so anyway, uh, I like that he admits that populists don't condemn the upper class. He's, he's pro upper class. He's made that very well known. Uh, and then as he, as he's laid out his theory of populism, which by the way, I have to point out, uh, Willis Carto didn't actually believe in any of that shit that I just laid out. He was not a populist. He, he didn't believe in populism or anything other than white nationalism. Willis Carto was a white nationalist operative from the get-go. Uh, he engaged in Holocaust revisionism. He was one of the founders of this think tank that uh, was famously sued after it laid out a million-dollar reward, basically, to anyone who could prove the Holocaust happened. And so a Holocaust survivor got his files from like the Holocaust and gave them to them and put them out in the press and called them out on it. And then he sued them when they refused to pay the reward. So that lawsuit ended up bankrupting the Institute. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Willis Carto didn't believe any of that shit that I just laid out. Uh, he was a lying piece of shit this whole time. Uh, so we're going to skip this next section here, but basically, uh, what he does is he explains what he's going to do next, which is, uh, what we will go through here. He lays out a list of right-wing American mythical figures, people who existed, but who are so mythologized in this book that their, their caricatures bear almost no relation to who they were as people. And we're going to start with a real popular one among conservatives who like to pretend that they're defending freedom by defending the American empire. Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is depicted as, uh, you know, an advocate for the middle class uh, and explained as believing in white supremacy, um, which Cardo frames as a good and obvious thing. And then we move on a little bit here to Andrew Jackson. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's a whole section here. Basically, Andrew Jackson is a is again a, a populist he's on the side of the small businessman he enforces white supremacy he keeps the blacks in their place etc etc yada 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 uh thomas edison who was uh praised for his friendship with henry ford uh i love this sentence quote few are aware that edison shared ford's political philosophy uh is that his uh his crushing of unions is that his, uh, you know, rampant anti-Semitism? Is it both? Uh, he, <laughs> oh boy, there's a lot, a lot of concerning implications to that statement, I think. Uh, Edison was staunchly opposed to socialism, believing instead in free enterprise. He rejected the socialist argument that most men were wage slaves. Yet Edison is also framed as believing in the historic struggle between capital and labor. So Edison cared about the historic struggle between capital and labor. He was firmly on the side of capital, and he hated working people. So we, we got that. We, we picked up on that. Uh, thank you, Willis Carto. I never would have figured that out without you laying it out for me like that. Uh, try <laughs> Charles Edison, the son of Thomas Edison, was a steady financial supporter of Liberty Lobby, which is just Willis Carto citing himself like a fucking pretentious dick. Uh, Robert La Follette, 
he uh, he's the one who introduced the idea of attacking the Jews via attacking Rockefellers and Morgans and Harrimans, which I have on uh, heard locally. Uh, crypto anti-semites citing rockefeller and morgan neither of whom were jews by the way they were all rich waspy motherfuckers uh it doesn't matter if you're jewish most jews are like you know working folks like anyone else uh so like anti-semitism is uh, just an avenue that a critique of capitalism or feudalism or any ruling class has always uh you know, tried to steer any criticism and organizing and, and efforts at resistance into dead ends of, of bigotry and divisiveness. That's always been the case, and that's no different now than it was for peasants in the Middle Ages. Uh, Robert the Follett held that government by one class uh, was tyranny, and so he believed that if the workers ever uh, took over the means of production and abolished the state and uh, ran a federated society of distribution based on need, that that would also be tyranny equal to anything the capitalists uh, and the state have ever done to anyone. They would be just as bad, and so why would you ever criticize them, basically? Uh, there's some southern populist here. I don't know why I bothered putting in this many notes. I'm just going to skip it. Fuck that guy. His name was Thomas Watson. He basically uh, laid out that uh, black uh, black resistance to white supremacy in the South is basically a plot by northern industrialists with echoes around it. Uh, Henry Ford. I don't need to explain who Henry Ford is or why he was a bad person or why Willis Carto would be such a fan of his. Uh, go back and listen to my episode where I recorded uh, a reading of the International Jew for more. Uh, Ezra Pound, uh, in short, he's a famous American poet laureate who was also legally a traitor. He, uh, he was literally a fascist, Ezra Pound. He uh, was arrested for treason after joining Mussolini's government during World War II when the United States was at war with fascist Italy. Uh, he spent a long time in an insane asylum where he was visited by such people as Willis Carto. Uh, and finally, the last American that we will cite here from Willis Carto was Charles Coughlin. Coughlin? Coughlin? Charles Coughlin. Uh, he was a Catholic priest, Irish-American, anti-communist, quote-unquote, uh, rambling about bankers' conspiracies and uh, the need for fascism in the United States. Charles Coughlin was so racist that the Catholic Church in the 30s, which was so busy collaborating with Mussolini and Hitler, was like, whoa, buddy, you gotta calm that shit the fuck down. Charles Coughlin, 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 I think? C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N. Coughlin, I guess? Uh, Father Coughlin, Charlie boy there, uh, is sort of the uh, un, uh, unacknowledged bastard son of Irish America. He's like, he's like, he's like if Irish America before it had a Kennedy wanted to have a petty little Hitler wannabe, it was Charles Coughlin. Uh, he was like the the Owen o, Owen O'Malley or Owen 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 O Brady. I forget that guy's name. Uh, Owen O'Duffy. That's what I'm thinking of. He was basically the Owen O'Duffy of Irish Americans, a pathetic drunken figure who died in obscurity after making a bid for being America's next top Fuhrer. So speaking of bids for being America's next top Fuhrer, 
uh, in part two of this episode, I will be laying out in some broader stroke detail Willis Carto, the person, and his influence on American conservatives. So that episode should be coming out within the next couple of weeks. But for now, this has been a review of Willis Carto's uh, plutoc- populism versus plutocracy. I apologize for rambling. It's been an exhausting couple of weeks, but I wanted to get part one of this two-part episode out as soon as possible. So I appreciate you folks sticking with me. Once again, this has been Doc, host of the Black and Red Book Review podcast. I will see you all in the streets.